Today's show is brought to you by Audible. Audible is offering our listeners a free audiobook with a 30-day trial membership. Just go to audibletrial.com slash stuffpodcast and browse the unmatched selection of audio programs. Download a free title and start listening. It's that easy. Go to audibletrial.com slash stuffpodcast to get started today. Why Audible? Audible content includes an unmatched selection of audiobooks, original audio shows, news, comedy, and more from the leading audiobook publishers, broadcasters, and entertainers. I just downloaded my first book, Star Wars Queen's Shadow by E.K. Johnston. I listen to it while I'm driving, drawing, grocery shopping, or while I'm at the gym. It's the perfect way to fit even more Star Wars into my life. Audible selection really is unmatched. It was hard to decide which audiobook I wanted first. They even have Star Wars Light of the Jedi by Charles Soule available for pre-order, which is the first book in the High Republic series that we're all so excited about. But your free book can be anything you want, Star Wars or otherwise. To download your free audiobook today, go to audibletrial.com slash stuffpodcast. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash stuffpodcast for your free audiobook. Welcome to the Star Wars Stuff Podcast, where we talk about all things Star Wars. My name is James. I'm Joseph. I'm David. Colin. I'm Brooke. And I'm Nicole. And hello, we're all here. Wow, this is crazy. <laughs> I, I, I love I love this new, like, being able to talk to all of y'all, even though we're not in the same place. Yeah. And, yeah, it's great. It's great. So, so as most of you know, listeners, well, if you're, if you're as big of Star Wars fans as we are, this is a great big day. Because this is the anniversary of, in my opinion, the the best Star Wars movie of the saga. I mean, it's not not to interrupt you, but it's actually probably my favorite movie of all time. Whoa, <laughs> okay, uh, it's what I compare everything else. To, well, many so. people consider it the greatest sequel slash second film of all time as well. Yeah, yeah, I know that a lot of movies that a lot of sequels that come out, they always do the comparison of. Was it the Empire Strikes Back of that? That's you know that you know the series and everything. Well, was it the Attack of the Clones? <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but yeah, so the 40th anniversary of the Empire Strikes Back, the sequel to Star Wars, came out in uh, May 21st, of course, uh, 1980, and it's uh, like I said to me, it's the best the best Star Wars movie. I mean, that's my opinion. He says it's the greatest movie ever made. Uh, Colin, what's what are your thoughts on Empire Strikes Back? I love Empire, but but my favorite is I mean is a New Hope because you know it started everything. But I love Empire <laughs> because it's so different, and you like jump from New Hope to Empire, and and back then you know I wasn't alive back then, you know, but but um, uh, but so many people were were like so like like just shocked of just how it was because it was so different and it wasn't something that, that they, I mean, that 
because in the new hope they they were so used to it and they loved it and then you jump to empire and it's like a completely different thing and it, and it, and it just blew everyone away from from what we saw in uh new hope and and i love it but me personally i love new hope but i know her favorite film is empire strikes back it is. Sure. i don't know i've just always been more drawn to that one than the other ones it's just if I, if I have to pick a star wars movie to watch i'm just like empire like it's just yeah, it's my awesome. go-to yeah. yeah what about what about you nicole i think empire is definitely my favorite of the original trilogy um rogue one's but. my favorite overall but okay. i think okay. yeah original trilogy my favorite for sure Probably overall in the Skywalker saga, I guess it's probably my favorite too. Okay, that's cool. Yeah, it was um, for me growing up, it was Return of the Jedi because I liked the big battle at the end. I think a lot of people's favorite was Return of the Jedi because it's the, the big finale. Yeah. But then the older I the older I got, the more I'd watch Empire and I'd be like, man, this one's really good. Like, it's not just a good <laughs> Star Wars movie, yeah. but it's a good movie and it's mm-hmm. insane. And uh, so today uh, we are going to talk about the production of empire strikes back and hopefully we give you some cool insights to it and we're just going to celebrate the empire strikes back because it was just it's a it's a great moment in star wars and it's actually i don't want to be i don't want to like go over the top but it's probably the most important star wars movie in terms of yeah like when it came out and what it had to do for the rest of star wars so uh i guess without further ado we're going to get into this conversation and um, we're just going to, we each have topics. We're going to go through these topics and uh, we're going to try something fun today. We've never done this before. So we've never, we usually, as y'all know, we just talk, we just talk about Star Wars. But today we actually did research, which blows me away that we did. This. So, <laughs> all right. So here we go without further ado. Uh, so, so when, when Star Wars came out back in 77, George Lucas had no idea it was going to be the success that it was like, no, like he had no idea. Even when the movie came out, the, the, that day it came out, he was still working on another print of Star Wars, and Alan Ladd Jr. called him and said, "Dude, it's it's the it's it broke almost every record last night." And he was like, "What?" And all the guys working on the film were like, "What? Yeah. This this movie that we're working on broke all these records?" And he didn't believe it. He he was like, "Oh yeah, sure, okay." They finished that print of the movie. They shipped it off to a theater. And then he was like, "I'm gonna go. I'm going to Hawaii. Goodbye. I'm gonna leave. I'm done with this movie. I just need to get away." And he gets to Hawaii and he's there and Alan Ladd Jr. just keeps calling him saying, okay, here are the numbers right now. You've made, this movie has made over like $75 million in just a couple of days. This movie has made this many million. Like every time he called him, the number just kept going up and up and up. And George Lucas at that time was kind of like, oh, wow, maybe I did make a good movie because, you know, (laughs) you got to remember. Yeah, yeah, maybe I made a good movie. And um, And it was on George's release, right? Yeah, it was only released, and I believe it was, like I said, like 37 or 30. It was like 42 theaters was all like Fox was able to get, which is nothing if you think about it. It's nothing. Yeah. And they broke almost every record that they possibly could. And uh, Steven Spielberg actually visited him that, that weekend, and he said by the time Spielberg got there, Lucas was just like, oh, my gosh. Did you see what I just did? I just made the biggest movie of all time. And, of course, Spielberg is over there like, I knew you would. I knew you would. But anyway, uh, so... After that happened, the numbers are a huge, huge, you know, it's a big success. He had to make a sequel immediately. George Lucas had to. I never knew this because in his contract, they said, if it's a big success, you need to have something out within, you need to have something going within two years. So he was like, oh, I got to hurry up and 
So he started, yeah. So he yeah. started already working on the story. He had ideas, but then he also, in the back of his mind, you know, he had such a horrible time making Star Wars. If you <laughs> if you ever really look at the making yeah. of it, he just had the worst time of his life making that movie. He almost sold it to back to Fox. He almost sold all of Star Wars to Fox because of how fed up he was with everything. Because he was like, you know. I'll sell it back to them. They can do whatever they want. I don't want anything to do with it. But then after he almost, he almost gave himself a heart attack working on it. Right? Oh yeah. Like yeah. it was oh my it gosh. Was pretty, yeah. He went into hypertension and was, yeah. Yeah. He had to be admitted to the hospital and they were like, dude, you need to ease up on your life a little bit, but he and couldn't he went right back to work. <laughs> yeah. He could, he had to go right back to work. Cause it, it, it's funny. Cause everyone else was looking at this movie. Like, what is he doing? And only George Lucas had the overall picture but he and he goes over and he says it all the time, which is controversial, I know. But he says he settled and had to like cut so many corners to make that movie. So in the end, for him, the '77 version of Star Wars is not his version of Star Wars. Yeah. To a lot, so he'll come out and tell you, they're like, which which is the best one? He'll always say the special edition was the Star Wars that I wanted to make. And you know, a lot of people are like, "Come on, man!" But you know, you got to see it in the way that he he was seeing it, which was. That he was like, oh, I want this for my cantina scene. And they were like, we got some leftover props from some monster movies. Doctor Who. We have some Doctor Who stuff. Yeah. I, we have a praying mantis in the corner that can move. Yeah. We have the wolf man over here. And he just walked in and was like, oh, my gosh. Like, this is the worst thing I've ever seen in my whole Morning life. Yeah. yeah. And so, so now Star Wars comes out. Huge success. Making hundreds of millions of dollars. Becomes the highest grossing film in history. Ever. And... So now he had a lot of leverage when he went to Fox with the new contract. He said, okay, I want almost, I forget what the split was, but he was getting a huge chunk of, of the sequel because his whole deal with, with Fox at the time was, why did y'all make hundreds of million dollars off of something you never believed in? One, you never came <laughs> to help with. Two, and three, you were just telling me like, y'all kept trying to cut the movie off movie comes out big big success and now y'all get all the money so he said no that's not happening i'm gonna take all the money i'm gonna make it with my own money so you can't tell me what to do the only thing that you fox will do is have your logo in front of the movie and distribute and distribute it but he says and if you don't want this deal any other studio will want their logo in front of star wars and so that was it so they then made the contract and there you go and then he started to work on the script and he, he said immediately, I do not want to direct the movie. Because like I said, he had a horrible time directing <laughs> Star Wars. So he said, I'm not going to direct it. So he gave it to Gary Kurtz to find a director. And he went through the, the director of uh, Saturday Night Fever was, was asked to direct the movie. Uh, Alan Parker, who directed the Pink Floyd's The Wall, which is, don't, I never watched that movie. It would freak you out. Um, <laughs> it's a weird, it's a weird yeah. movie. He asked him to do it. But then in the end, the only person that Gary Kurtz told Lucas to meet with was Irvin Kershner. And David has a lot of information on Irvin Kershner. What you got? Yeah, so Irvin Kershner, he uh, has this story where he, he talks about how Lucas invites him to lunch at Universal. And he immediately asks, who's paying? <laughs> <laughs> and then, of course, he met with him. And Lucas asked him, I want you to direct the next Star Wars. The Empire Strikes Back name wasn't there the first Star Wars movie was considered to be Star Wars 1, and New Hope wasn't even titled. Mm -hmm. So, Irvin Kirshner said, well, I mean, 
a second film for the biggest movie of all time. It can only be second best. Why would I want to do it? And Lucas kind of replied, well, because you know everything in Hollywood as a director that's supposed to know everything, but you're not Hollywood. And Kirshner was like, well, if I do take this on, uh, I don't, I want freedom. I want to be able to direct my movie. And Lucas had already thought ahead and he said, well, yeah, that's what I plan on doing. You go to London, you go to Norway, you go shoot. I'll stay here in California. And he had to run all the finances and he met Kirshner at USC as a professor. He worked in the photography department and I think they became friends then. And then they eventually got closer, of course. And we talked about that legendary story on New Year's where he had Francis Ford Coppola Brian De Palma, Steven Spielberg, Martin Scorsese, they all watched that first cut of Star Wars and they all thought it was horrible except for Steven <laughs> Spielberg because there was no there's no music, it was just random shots all cut together, but he was there apparently, which uh it's kind of a new thing we found out. But uh yeah, I mean doing research on Irvin Kirshner, we they affectionately called him Kirsch I've always referred to him as Kirsch. He wasn't born Irvin, though. He was his real name is Isidore, and he was born in 1923 in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. And he was born to uh, Ukrainian Jewish immigrant parents in 1923. So it was a while back. So when he filmed The Empire Strikes Back, he was 56 years old. Dang. So yeah, he was and, up there, um, and he was in good shape too. Like that's one thing they always said. Like he would go running yeah. in the mornings, and like he was like. And he was almost vegan. So he was, if you ever look at him and how he aged, he looked the same kind of, you yeah. know, yeah, when he, when he got older. But anyways, sorry. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he, he was a, he's a very interesting guy. Um, a lot of kind of similar things that he did, I always was kind of interested in doing. He, he really kind of deeply researched religions, Christianity, uh, Muslim, Buddhism, I, he was also in the Air Force. He was a musician. He was a painter. Uh, he was an actor. He had little bit parts. And of course, he directed The Empire Strikes Back. And he also directed a film that I liked as a kid, which I probably shouldn't have saw as a kid. It was RoboCop 2. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I love that movie for some reason. And and not until later, I guess I didn't watch the credits or whatever. But yeah, he directed RoboCop 2, among other films and projects that he did. But yeah, it was kind of part of the perfect storm for the empire strikes back and star wars as a whole the original trilogy that george lucas got irvin kirshner to direct this film and i'm super appreciative of it because i mean it's like james said it's considered to be one of the greatest films of all time and to be a sequel and to be considered that that's i mean it's impossible squared you know (laughs) <laughs> it's only when you think about it, it's got one of the most iconic cinematic moments ever. Yep. A hundred percent ever. Um, and then I think I saw somewhere like Yoda is like the number 25 most important character in cinematic history or something along those lines. So, you know, just off of those two things alone, that movie changed the landscape of the way movies were made, viewed, appreciated all that kind of good stuff. So. And, what, and what blows me away is that George Lucas, when he's telling Irvin Kershner to come and do the Empire Strikes Back, he says, he goes, I need this to be good because if this is great, I can keep making the other movies. If this is bad, it ends right here. 
Yeah. So Kirshner was like, okay, well that's, that's, you know, no pressure at all. You know, I mean, that's, that's nothing. And, you know, and what was crazy was George Lucas with the sequel was using his own money. So pretty much the money he was making from star Wars was going right back into the empire strikes back to make this movie. And which had never been done before in Hollywood. Like that's now you look at these independent movies that are being made and, that's done a lot now, but at the time, George Lucas was one of the first to kind of get away from the studios and say, all right, I'm doing this all myself. So you can't tell me what to do. Pretty much. And um, so whenever they were writing the story, the one line that he just said, the most cinematic, like one of the greatest moments of cinematic history, that was there. George Lucas had that in his first ever uh, treatment of the script was Vader says, no, I am your father. And I think he only showed it to Alan Ladd Jr. And then after that, he removed the line out of that so no one else would ever read it because he didn't want anyone else to hear about it. So he always knew that that was the, that was the big twist and that was the one thing he tried to hold on to so no one would ever find out. And, of course, Yoda was in the script. And uh, his name was uh, – what, what was his name? His name Minch, was uh, – Minch, Minch, so Minch, it was Minch Yoda. Yoda. That's the second name they came with. The first name, his original, original name was Buffy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Buffy, Buffy. That's what they wanted to call him at first. Thank God. Yeah, they went with a uh, Minch Yoda, and then they finally shortened it down to yeah. just Yoda. And they also and, thought about using a monkey. In a- yeah, they, yeah, they were gonna train. They were gonna train a costumed ape to play Yoda, apparently. Um, and then uh, from some of the research I did, they had a, a guy for, that worked on 2001: A Space Odyssey also worked on the crew of uh of empire and he was like do not use a monkey just don't do it they are not worth the time <laughs> so luckily uh yoda became uh, a puppy a puppy a puppy a puppet uh <laughs> instead of a, a, a walking talking ape and the and the weird thing is there's actually pictures of them testing out the monkey like he has yeah. the suit he has the suit on they were going to put the mask, but then as soon as they put the mask on him, the monkey just kept ripping off the mask because they didn't want anything covering. So yeah, they were like legit going to use a monkey for this, monkey for this part. So that just blows me away that that was. See, there have been like monkey-esque creatures like Biston from Rogue One and the creature okay, okay. put together uh, Kylo Ren's helmet. Yeah, on episode yeah. nine. Yeah. yeah. Hmm. Something George Lucas had a weird fascination with monkeys. <laughs> It's like Dave Filoni and wolves. Yeah, something <laughs> something weird, something weird with this monkey thing. But uh, but so whenever George Lucas was gonna write the script, he said, "I'm not writing the script" because it took him almost a year to write Star Wars. So he gave it to uh, her name was Lee Brackett. He gave her the script. She was a very successful science fiction writer as well as a screenwriter. He gave her the story, his treatment. She went off to write the script, brings it back, and he's just going, "Oh my! It was awful. It was terrible." page by page he's scratching stuff out hitting no he's scratching stuff out like changing lines um and so he was going to meet with her but unfortunately she passed away like two weeks after she gave him the script so it was it was it was it was awful he had no one no one had any idea that she was sick and so he he out of respect for her and what she contributed to that first draft her name is credited in the in the credits as screenplay by Lee Brackett, but he actually didn't even use really any of that script. Instead, he went and wrote his own script and then he was like, this is still not good. And and luckily at that time, he and Steven Spielberg were developing Indiana Jones and they found this commercial copywriter turned screenwriter 
to write Indiana Jones. His name is Lawrence Kasdan. They, he gets the script to uh, Indiana Jones, and without even reading the script, George Lucas says, you want to write Empire Strikes Back? And he was like, don't you want to read that script first? He goes, I'm pretty sure it's good. If it's not good, well, I'll, I'll just cancel the whole thing. But I'm, I think I'm going to like it. I need you to write Empire Strikes Back. So then Lawrence Kasdan was like, yeah, like why would I not want to write the <laughs> sequel to one of the biggest movies of all time? So he, he wrote the script, and he says when he got the script, it was terrible. He said it was, George Lucas is not a good writer. That, that's what he said. Kirsten so, said the same thing. Yeah, they, so... <laughs> Kirshner is so hard on George Yeah, Lucas. yeah Kirshner was very truthful. <laughs> it's awesome. And uh, so it all goes to show that he... Yeah, Lucas was not actually a good writer. Great visionary, great with special effects, great with visualizing all that. But when it came to actual writing, not that great. He's an idea man. Yeah, he's an idea man. He's a good idea man. And yeah. so Lawrence Kasdan then took the script, rewrote it, and then he, Kirshner and Lucas, spent months and months and months working on this thing. And one of the things that they always had a question about was Harrison Ford. Is he going to come back or is he not going to come back? Because Mark Hamill and Carrie Fisher had said, we're going to do three movies. Harrison Ford was like, eh, maybe, maybe I'll do it. You know, whatever, maybe. So they actually had it in the script where he could possibly not even be there or he could possibly leave like at the very beginning of the movie. And then he's, that's it. Like they had this whole thing planned out for what was going to happen to him. Um, but fortunately he, he came back and he stayed Han Solo for, for many, many years. And so now it gets to the, uh, the pre-production and all the, the artwork and everything like that. And Colin, you found some interesting stuff out about, about yeah. some of the concept art and everything like that. Yeah, I, uh, I, I did. But um, jumping back to the Harrison Ford thing, I was thinking about this. Do you think he didn't want to come back because of the holiday special? <laughs> that is a possibility. <laughs> You, yeah, you're, I forgot to mention the holiday special. <laughs> <laughs> I always try to forget the holiday special, but the, the holidays, yeah, it was it's terrible. It's one of the worst things that's ever like happened. But yeah, that was one of the things that was while they were getting ready for Empire, that was going on. And yeah. <laughs> George Lucas, George Lucas was the one who told them, "Oh yeah, it should take place on Kashyyyk. Um, we should have all the Wookies there, his fa- Chewbacca's family." Uh, and the producer was like. What about subtitles? Oh, you don't need subtitles. <laughs> and the guy was like, oh my gosh. And then so they got everyone back. And Ralph McQuarrie had already drawn uh, Kashyyyk because a part of the empire was going to take place on Kashyyyk. Yeah. Um, which they didn't do, but you still have that artwork. And then when you get to Revenge of the Sith and then Jedi Fallen Order, you get to finally realize yeah. like that's what he planned. Yeah. Um, they had all that already made. And then Boba Fett was already being designed. Mm-hmm. So Boba Fett gets placed in this thing. Boba. Oh, yeah and it came out and it was one of the worst things that anyone had ever seen and he was he george lucas did his best and actually he took his he told him to take his name off the production he said i don't want my name anywhere anywhere on this thing so i often wonder myself colin maybe harrison ford was like this is star wars is gonna be bad like if i if i keep going with this they're gonna just keep giving me this crap to, to, to be in. so that's a good that's a good question yeah. All right, so so pre-production concept art. What you got for us, Colin? Well, th- there was so, um, like you said, there was so much stuff that they wanted to use in Empire. Like for instance, Kashyyyk ended up going to the holiday special, um, and there were the 
designs for tauntauns and right before this i know that that myself and joseph were, were talking about this but there was so much concept art for the tauntauns and it was so hard to pinpoint it down and and there was one design that they ended up um using years later which we see in the clone wars rebels and then finally live action in the mandalorian um and those creatures are now called blurgs and and it's so cool that there's so much stuff that they didn't end up using in those i mean like for for instance empire that they use years later in different projects like Mm -hmm. there was a scene in um uh in empire which didn't make it it ended up being a deleted scene but they um han leia and 3po are going to the falcon and they pass this door and C-3PO kind of rips the tape off the door. And then there's snow <laughs> troopers coming down the hallway and they open the door and then a wampa, like a wampa arm, it looks really bad, but a wampa arm grabs a stormtrooper yeah. and pulls them in. Um, uh, now, years later, it turns out to be canon because there was a short from the show, the um, Forces of Destiny, where Chewie and Leia are, are kind of... Um, getting echo base ready and then they find this kind of cave with a wampa and they trap it in there and then they slap that caution sign on the door and it's <laughs> That's awesome. so it's so it's so cool uh That's on how awesome. many um stuff it that what was going to be in the film ended up being in in like in future projects and it's awesome yeah. um because there's so so many connections i think my personal favorite is the arc in the Clone Wars, where where we see um, where we see Master Yoda kind of learn to become a Force ghost, and he goes to um, and and he he goes to Dagobah, and he sees um, well, he doesn't see, but he hears the voice of Qui Gon, and like he actually goes through like the cave and everything, and yeah, that ties yeah. in back to Empire, and there's so much stuff that ties back to Empire because it really is such. An important like story of Star Wars because of it really connects so much, and you also see in the Last Jedi um, um, of that kind of echo of where Ray falls into the cave, just how yes. how um, uh, how Luke goes in the cave and he kind of sees a vision. Um, it's it's awesome and how much it connects to this one film, and it just kind of spreads out to the future projects. It's awesome. And what's even crazier was in the early script, George Lucas said. <laughs> bless you (laughs) that george lucas wanted vader's castle in empire strikes back yeah that was something he wanted there and so ralph mcquarrie drew crazy crazy designs and then he says i want lava he told him i want lava all over the place and so then they drew lava everywhere and that was never used they ended up taking that out i think it was like the second or third draft that that whole plot got taken out instead now they have uh, Vader on a giant star destroyer, which is even cooler. But yeah, then you super, super oh sorry sorry super star destroyer. But then you flash forward to uh, Nicole's favorite Star Wars movie, Rogue One, and then there we get to see Vader's castle finally. And yeah. it's crazy that after all these years, they were able to go back to Ralph McQuarrie's artwork and be like, "Oh man, here it is. It's already been done for us. All we got to do is just put it up there." Well, that's it, one of my favorite things about the the extended universe as it is today it's like nothing gets left behind nothing yeah, gets forgotten exactly. uh, even like zeb from rebels is early ralph mccory chewbacca mm-hmm, I love that. and um 
you know, they brought the early 3PO and R2 designs into Rebels also with Chopper and then that one uh, uh, killer, the killer, killer droid, protocol yeah. droid. Which was awesome. Uh, yeah, um, it, it's great stuff. Something about Star Wars, I'm kind of going off topic a tiny bit, but <laughs> um, but with Star Wars Rebels, um, that animation style is based off the artwork of Ralph McQuarrie. I mean... Um, it's, it's based off of that as well as the uh, the Kenner toys that came out right after yeah. the, you know, the original <laughs> Star Wars came out. That's awesome. Right. It's I never knew that. So cool. yeah. yeah. So what else we got? Uh, so now, okay, so now we get into the production of of this movie. The script was done. The cast was able to to go through there, and George Lucas, Kirshner, and Kazdan had the craziest idea, which was to not be in the desert anymore, but to be with ice and snow and that's the worst thing for special effects and we'll hear more about that so brooke where did they where did they go to film all the hoth stuff and everything like that they went to norway for that they were on a glacier um the name of this thing is humongous and i (laughs) be able to pronounce it um i can give it that's the name of it that's the name of it yep that's the whole thing um (laughs) but it was in fence norway so mm-hmm. that's where they went and did like all the Hoth scenes um and I guess while they were there a horrible horrible snowstorm hit like I it said <laughs> it was like the worst one they'd had in 50 years so of course that had to happen while they were filming but they were like no this is a great opportunity so they actually did the shot where uh Luke is running escaping from the Wampa <laughs> yeah but they were like they all stayed inside though they were like Mark Hamill go outside you're gonna do your shot but they all stayed <laughs> inside where it was nice and warm and they were drinking that's awesome chocolate yeah they were like oh you gosh. look great <laughs> <laughs> that's so, crazy I'd be, I'd be like you're doing great Mark keep it up <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> how cold did it did they say how cold it got there whenever they filmed uh, or was it below freezing it below it dropped to negative 29 Celsius. I'm not sure what that is in Fahrenheit. <laughs> that's cold. It's cold. It's cold. For us Texans, that's really cold. Like we would never <laughs> even not find us there. <laughs> I heard um I had read somewhere, I was going off of that, that the bl- it was so the blizzard was so insane there that when you looked out the door, the ice, the, the snow would actually be designed differently. Like that's how the wind was hitting it. Yeah. So they could just be like, oh, now we're at this part of the movie so and they said that when they would film they would be filming and they said but if they were to turn the camera over to the right or left you'd see the hotel immediately right there where they were staring where they were staying so yeah they said that a lot of that stuff they lucked out when they looked out the door and they're like oh it looks like a new landscape now we're at this part of the movie let's go out there and film and uh, that's insane and uh, how long do we know how long they were there filming all that Hoth sequence or I, i could i didn't see how long they were there no probably a couple of days no man <laughs> from what from what I, I kind of looked at they were there like it felt, it felt like that half sequence was a very was a lot bigger when they filmed it and then when they edited it it looked like it was just a little but man they were out there for for a while yeah. filming that stuff them a while yeah do you guys remember a couple of years back when they had the um when they had the crew kind of hoth the hoth production jackets yeah, yeah. The, that blue jacket i i wanted it so bad but those sold out quick too um, 
there was a guy walking around at celebration with one of those. I think you and I were behind him, and I was like, let's just get him. Let's just, just, just <laughs> we, we can take him down right now just to get the jacket. I was like, why is he? And it was all like not even cold inside, but he was just, it looked like he was just flopped. I was like, I got one of those jackets. Yeah. No big deal. Anyways, <laughs> yeah, level up Leroy has one of those jackets. I know. We need to ask him if he can give us his jacket. Anyways, I'm just kidding. So, yeah. um, so we're all, we have uh, an outlet mall here, and they have a Columbia store. And every time we went as a family, I'd always just go to that Columbia store to see if they had that jacket. I didn't have the money to buy it, but <laughs> I mean, I wanted to just check it out in person. I wanted to see. What, right. what blew me away was how like everybody had that jacket. So that was like custom made jacket yeah. for the crew. Mm-hmm. How much money was Lucas spending? You know what I mean? Like on just their jackets. Just and to just make sure they didn't die and blows me away. Freezing to death. And um, I had heard also when they're in Norway that, uh, Kirshner said that if you were to touch the camera without any gloves on, you would have to like get a knife to to pry your Whoa. hands off because and you would lose some of your skin because that's how cold it was. Uh. They said the cameras had to be kept warm, but then something else had to be kept cold. So the cameras were just kind of weirdly covered to make it work. And and they they got it, man. It's 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 insane how much they how, how ridiculous it was for them to be like, yeah, we're going to go to Norway on this glacier in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. And, and then um, somebody made the joke that when they were leaving uh, the principal of photography, because the second unit stayed there for a little bit longer, but principal photography was leaving. They said they get out, they get in the train and they said, and the sun just shines <laughs> beautifully. There was no snow at all on the tracks. And they were like, yep, that's, that's how it works, man. <laughs> like yeah. the weather got beautiful after that. Okay, sorry. Continue, bro. No, that was basically it. <laughs> oh, that was basically. <laughs> and then they, um, yeah, well, they had to use like crawlers to get around everywhere, right? Like the oh, yeah. giant threads and stuff. Yeah, yeah, they. Um, and I and and if you watch the making of it, Empire of uh, Dreams, they said that every couple of feet they put a stake in the ground. They put a giant thing in the ground. They go. And then somebody asked him, like, what are, what, what are these for? What are, what, why are you putting those out? And the driver was like, so we can find our way back. <laughs> it was like, what? He goes, yeah, if, uh, if we don't put these out, we can't find our way back and we'll be lost out here. Uh, yeah, it was whiteout conditions. Yeah, yeah and um, they said that even though they were out there filming in Norway, they still had a helicopter fly over taking pictures of the production. Like, like, like the press found where they were and they were flying around taking pictures of the production of what was going That's on. Wild. And um, they said it was that, I can't believe people. <laughs> but then again, it was the sequel to the biggest movie of all time. And, um, and Star Wars 2. Star Wars 2, yeah. Um, so, two Star Wars 2 series. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, Nicole, so you, you were talking about some of the, the costumes with, with Star Wars. Um, first off, did they have warm clothes for them when they filmed out there in, in Norway or... Um, so the rebel troopers we see, actually, they were not designed for warmth. Like they were made of a thin cotton material, those coats. So they would have to wear all of their snow gear underneath their costumes because they were not designed with any warmth at all, which is insane to me. <laughs> um, like, all right, yeah. good luck, guys. <laughs> and, <laughs> yeah, right. And like the extras were, a lot of the extras were like from Norway. So they just kind of did that on their own. They weren't told to do that. Um, so then, like, the other people saw them doing that and just kind of copied them. So everyone kind of ended up just wearing their snow gear underneath their costumes. Smart, smart. Just crazy. But they did have to make, like, about 50 of the Rebel soldier suits, which is um, 
the most like of a duplicate they've ever had to make like the most of the same costume um kind of crazy um and then so George Lucas once they were done with all those he ordered them all to be destroyed um after Return of the Jedi because he didn't want them to be reused or anything so it took like two weeks for them to cut up all these costumes into tiny little pieces just so they couldn't be reused on something else so sad yeah I think they kept a couple just to have but the rest of them were destroyed which is crazy um the snow troopers those were actually designed for more warmth like they had a lot of layers and everything (laughs) and they like their entire face was covered so if you were a snow trooper you got lucky um but so those were originally designed to be like inspired by samurai but all of the samurai like inspirations they put in there they quickly took out because they looked too samurai and you couldn't even (laughs) tell it was like a stormtrooper anymore um and then one of the snow troopers so they designed like the basic soldier which is the ones that we see in the movie and then they designed an officer snow trooper and that actually became boba fett oh yeah uh, which is crazy yeah but i'll go into boba fett later um but the rest of the hoth costumes so like luke we see at first like his original concept was a lot different from the rest of the rebels but they decided like he's a part of the rebel alliance now so he should wear what everybody else was wearing the only thing that was really different about his costume were his boots which were custom made for him and the boots were actually made for warmth so that all their feet wouldn't like fall (laughs) off um so he got lucky and got a custom pair of muckluck boots which were like Canadian military boots they were designed after um and then Han we see his jacket in the movie looks navy but it's actually like a dark brown color um which is really weird they said after all the film editing it ended up looking navy and then all the merchandise was actually made to look navy to match the movie even though it was brown in real life which is I wonder if they made toys uh, with the brown jacket somewhere. You know what I mean? Like, if maybe somebody has yeah. one of the brown, and then they're like, wait, make a blue. Hurry, make a blue. Wait, anyway. Yeah. Maybe. Anyway, all right. Sorry. Sorry, Nicole. <laughs> no, that's fine. So he is, his outfit is different since he's, like, not part of the Rebel Alliance. Like, he's still his own person, so he has a brown jacket. Well, everyone else is wearing white, obviously, to, like, camouflage with the snow and everything. Um, And then Leia... So her costume is all white, like we've seen her in before, and they didn't have to do, like, any major distressing on it because she wasn't in, like, a ton of super action scenes, but because it was so white, they had to, like, distress it a little bit to make it look more worn in, and then after filming every day, they'd have to wash it, and it would be, like, super white again, and they'd have to, like, re-distress it every day in the same way, which is crazy. But yeah, that's pretty much all I have for Hoth. Well, yeah, I know that. Um, what, what's crazy about movie making is you, 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 you're there at a location, and so my whole life I always felt that they filmed everything in Norway for the Hoth scenes. I mean, I thought they filmed the tunnel stuff, <laughs> all everything was there in Norway, but in reality, they were only used just the exterior of it. Everything else was filmed at uh, Elstree Studios in the in okay. on the and the, the, the UK on the set. Um, but before we go to Elstree, was uh, uh, David? Did Kirshner have anything like anything interesting about Kirshner there at uh, in Norway? Like, did he have any cool like, they, like documents about what he said or anything? Uh, you kind of covered it with uh, touching the camera. I found that out, and I was kind of like, 
horrifying. Yeah, that, yeah, that was that's so scary about <laughs> to be that. that cold. And yeah, I mean, he he, I mean, he was out there like a champ. But like Nicole said, he that there was like a huge snowstorm. It was like record setting snow. Kind of like a weird symmetry between that and the first film when yeah. they had a huge rainstorm in Tunisia. So in the yeah, desert. The was, yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's kind of nuts. Years also, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. It seems like Star Wars just keeps having bad luck. And they said that whenever the the blizzard came in, uh, they were talking to some of the locals there at the train station before they went out to this this. And if you ever look at the uh, the aerials of this hotel where they were staying, it's literally in the middle of nowhere. Like I don't even know. Like it's a ski resort, so it's in the middle of nowhere. But anyways, before they went out there, the blizzard was really bad, and the locals were like, "Yeah, this is bad." And they were like, "Wait, <laughs> you think this is bad to y'all?" They're like, "Oh yeah, this hasn't been it hasn't been like this in like fifty or sixty years." And they're like, "Oh man!" Oh. And so that's when you, they said that's when they knew it was really bad when they found out the locals themselves were like, "Yeah, we're not going outside, y'all. Y'all be careful out there." Um, that's, so that blows yeah. me away. That, that yeah, happened. It, yeah, it totally goes to back back to one of the things that Kirsch said. I mean, he said improvisation. You can't be thrown by things not working on set. You have to assume you're going to make it work. And that's exactly what he applied to in Norway when they stayed in the hotel and they had Mark go out and they shot him from the hotel and the whole crew stayed warm. That's, yeah, I, I just love that. Yeah. <laughs> like, props yeah. to Mark Hamill for doing that. Like, Yeah. Yeah, he yeah. did. Uh, he and uh, Harrison Ford. Harrison Ford was actually not supposed to go out there. Either he was supposed to go out there or like not at that time, but they still got him out there to, to film a lot of those scenes of him looking for Luke and everything. And a lot of that's that, that snow hitting him in the face is not a special effect. Like he's <laughs> out there with that snow hitting him in the face. And Kirshner actually said that um, in native American cultures with, if somebody, if it's really cold, they'll, they'll kill an animal and they'll stick the, somebody inside the animal to keep them warm. Mm. And so he included that in the movie, which was the, I think that's a cool way of, keeping lukewarm as if they you know they slice open the tauntauns they stick him in there so all that was done outside and the the picture of it is really crazy because of course, like i said i love movies i love how you, you point the camera down but if you look this way you look that way and, and so the illusion's gone because it's literally they're pointing the camera down and then around them is like like four or five people all sitting there like bundled together trying to yeah. keep warm the camera operator the boom pole you know the the the, the, the sound guy the cursor they're all trying to stay warm while this shot is going on and um and harrison ford said like he goes i didn't i didn't think i was actually gonna have to be out here for this he, he was just blown away that he was out there in that snow and um they said they had these ladies who would come to bring them food but by the time they were about to eat the food the food would have already like frozen pretty much so <laughs> it was it was it was a nightmare it was just a nightmare that they they had to do and they were like, "Oh yeah, we're gonna bring out the um, the speeder, and we're gonna put the speeder here. We're gonna do all that here while we're while we're in Norway." So, uh, so Mark Hamill get in there, and then they it was they it was they said it was ridiculously cold that day for Mark Hamill to jump in and jump into the snow, and it was, it's insane. Mm-hmm. So yeah, Star Wars never has any good uh, weather ever. What I saw in Empire of Dreams was also they were they were gonna get a bunch of landscape shots for the I think the ATAT battle yeah at the end, and they wound up not needing to do that because. Guy's name, but the guy who paints all the crazy good backgrounds. Yeah, yeah, they had, yeah, they had somebody paint. Uh, he painted all of the landscapes, so they didn't have to like spend money on shots, <laughs> so they could get out of the cold. That blows me away. Yeah, yeah I saw Phil so, Tippett talk about that kid. He said some kid just showed up at ILM yeah. that could really paint. So yeah, a lot of those uh, at at scenes of them in the, in the snow is all 
is all is a painting behind them, which that blows me away too. Um, so another thing that happened while they were there was they had the special effects had a camera flown out there for them to film plates of the uh, when the the snow speeders looking for them. I don't know if y'all remember that scene where the snow speeders out looking for Han and uh, Luke. Um, apparently, they did not do a good job filming that. And the special effects guys, when they were looking at the footage, were just like, what is like, what were they thinking? So they apparently that was all supposed to look a little bit better, but they, they only used a small portion of that. Um, so now we get to L Street Studios where they are building uh, all the sets. And one of the things that they did this time, George Lucas said he wanted a full size Millennium Falcon built. He says, I want a full Millennium Falcon built. And I want to be. Able, I want to build it in a way that we can cut it up and we can move it somewhere. So there was a village in the UK where these uh, dock workers, where these old dudes, were making the Millennium Falcon for Star Wars, and uh, and no, and it was kind of weird because people started getting conspiracy theories, like there was an actual alien, like like <laughs> alien ship inside there that they were working on. But anyways, so the the sets at L Street Studios, what were what were those? Those are those the swamp. The, yeah, they had to build the swamp. Dagobah. They had to build, yeah, Dagobah. They had to do all the interiors for Hoth, which, like I said, I never, I always thought they filmed all of that in Norway. I mean, you're going to be Cloud City. Yeah, right. Cloud City. And then all the stuff with the, with the Falcon inside of it. So, um, and the starships. Uh, that's like right. The Star Destroyers. That's right. Yeah, they had those two different Star Destroyers. So, what should we talk about next? What should we talk about next? Um, well, I, I did a little bit of research into like the Yoda puppet and all of that kind of yeah. stuff that goes along with it. And so the swamp for Dagobah, they actually had to build four to five feet off of the ground mm-hmm. so that they could fit the puppeteers <laughs> with Yoda underneath there. Um, and it was it took, I believe, three, four people to operate Yoda. Uh, one for the eyes, Frank Oz with the mouth and the voice, obviously, and then the arms. Um, it, it was absolutely insane. So they had to really block where Luke and Yoda yeah. were going to go ahead of time because uh, the only way that Luke could hear what Yoda was saying was through a radio receiver. And he said one time he tilted his head too far back and the Rolling Stones started playing in his <laughs> ear and he couldn't hear Frank Oz anymore. And he was like, hey guys, I got the stones. I'm picking up the stones. He said uh, Kirshner was not happy with him about, <laughs> about that shot. Um, what's crazy about the Yoda puppet was, you know, they, you know, like we said earlier, they were going to use a monkey, which yeah. I'm glad they didn't use. Um, and then when they developed the, the the puppet idea, Jim Henson, of course, yeah, he, was, uh, he was approached first yeah. was Jim Henson. And so a lot of people assume that Yoda is technically a Muppet because Muppets and puppets are different yeah. things. Um, but Jim Henson actually turned it down um, because I think he was shooting uh, Dark Crystal. Yeah, he was. Yeah, he time. was doing Dark Crystal. Um, but he did. He said, you guys should take frank he's basically my other half anyway um you know he does he does all of the same stuff i do and without him i couldn't do the muppet stuff um and so they took frank oz and um let's see if i can find the guys yeah the voice of miss piggy the voice of miss piggy (laughs) grover and yoda um Stuart Freeborn, Stuart Freeborn. Um, oh actually wound up designing the Yoda puppet. And if you look at this dude, <laughs> he looks a lot like Yoda. It's really wild. He's got a lot of the same facial yeah. structure. Um, and uh, so he took, he took his own face and made it Yoda. And then he was like, the eyes aren't quite right to what I want it to be. And so he had this picture of Albert Einstein and he took Einstein's eye wrinkles and put them all into the Yoda puppet. And that's, that's how we got 
the Yoda that we have today. But what's really interesting, Stuart Freeburn wasn't a, they had no idea he was a model maker. He was just a, uh, he was a makeup person. Yeah, and so when they first brought, if, there's actually pictures of the puppet and they, he did look almost just like a Muppet where like the, the yeah. texture of it was Kermit the Frog, if, if you yeah. may. And they, they looked at it, this, this thing, and they were like, this is not going to work. This is, this doesn't look good. This Stuart Freeborn said, give me the weekend. I can maybe come up with something. And then they all went into this room and then he pulls off the cover. And like he said, Irvin Kirster looked at it and or he, I think Stuart Freeborn said, it looks like you, right, Kirst? And he was <laughs> like, no, that's you, man. That's like you, you, you made yourself Yoda. And then, so there's a really great picture out there of Stuart Freeborn standing next to a, to the Yoda sculpture smiling and then off to the side with a brush is Irvin Kirster looking like he's painting Stuart Freeburg. But anyways, um, so that was, I always thought that was really fascinating. Um, Yeah. The other weird thing, there's two weird things that I came up with in my research on Yoda (laughs) is, uh, so it's four puppets that have, I think it's two or three different interchangeable heads, which is super creepy in all of itself. (laughs) Um, And then um, there's a guy, his name is Deep Roy. Yep. He played, if you guys have seen, I think it's the Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. No, Charlie and the Chocolate Charlie Factory. Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. He's all the Oompa Loompas in there. And he actually wore a Yoda suit for some of the scenes where Yoda's walking around. And the scenes, like, I saw a picture where he had the helmet off. And it was very disturbing. <laughs> I didn't care for it at all. Um, but yeah, and a fun fact is in episode one, that scene where Yoda is walking, that's done by Warwick Davis. What? I thought that was a digital... Uh... No, apparently it's Warwick Davis that did it. He's credited um, on it. So, yeah, they they had two suits, one for Empire and one for Episode 1. And Deep Roy is one. And, oh, he's un, unaccredited. Yeah, yeah. If you, look at, it, on, if you look at his IMDB, it, it doesn't even... It, it says he's credited for somebody in Return of the Jedi, but I don't think he... I think they wanted to keep that a secret that there was a dude in the suit yeah. for one scene, yeah. which blows me and away. And it's Warwick Davis, which yeah, yeah, yeah. So, what film are you talking about with Warwick Davis? Episode one. Oh yeah, episode one. Okay. I don't yeah, because I know there's there's a scene, <laughs> there's a shot where Yoda's walking, and I was pretty sure that was digital when they do the like the pullback of like Obi Wan on his knee at the yeah, end. I saw I saw a couple. Maybe maybe it's um maybe it's not a suit, but it's like a uh you know when they put the dots on the people and stuff, but. It, I've seen, I saw on multiple sites that it was Warwick Davis. Oh, okay. Maybe they used his, like, him as a reference of, yeah. of Yoda for that scene. That blows me away. Yeah. If, <laughs> I, if I'd only seen it on one place, I wouldn't have talked about it. So, um, let me see. But yeah, that's pretty much it for Yoda. And then, you know, it was complicated to block it out and all that kind of good stuff. Nicole, you got anything on Yoda and the costumes with Yoda and all that uh, training sequence? She's like, of course I Yeah. Do. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, my book that I looked at just talked about how, like, his robes were basically influenced by Obi-Wan, like, what he wore since he was basically, like, Luke's next mentor or whatever. And mm-hmm. it says that the screenplay described Yoda as a wizened little thing dressed in rags. Um, <laughs> so they just Duh. basically took like the Obi-Wan robe and simplified it into like a kimono more like, and then they really like distressed it and they rubbed dirt on it, which is how it's like darker at the bottom and everything. And then they had multiples for each of the puppets and 
they had to design it with like holes like under the arms kind of so that the puppeteers could work his arms and everything so there's like weird holes in the actual design of his outfit um and then they had to like velcro and like snap it to the neck of the puppet so that it wouldn't like move out of place or anything like that and then they had one multiple made for the actor deep roy who did his walking so there's one larger size made for that guy who had to do that one scene and then the rest were all the same size interesting oh cool that that blew me away when i found out that someone was in the suit yeah it just blows me away and um if you ever watch the uh you know you go back and watch luke in the house with yoda how the camera blocking is and how like his the table is and how the setup of the whole and you could tell like there's a track that he can only, only like, Yoda can walk yeah, Mark Hamill can only step right here because if not, he's going to fall through the hole. Right. And again, if you tilt the camera down, you're just going to see this huge opening and you got to see all these people walking through. And I think, yeah, you said it was like four people were, were controlling this, yeah. this, this puppet. And it, it blows me away to this day and how realistic that, that puppet is. You know what I mean? Like when you see Yoda, I don't, I don't even think about a puppet. I'm just like, that's, that's, that's Yoda. That's not even a, yeah. that's a, yeah. One, what's also super distressing is they didn't like maintain the puppet right after shooting. And so the original Yoda puppet does not exist anymore. Yeah. I saw one of them on display at the costume, the costume exhibit. Yoda structure still exists. Yeah, another one you said. The the thing that they used to uh, mold the puppet still exists. And that's actually what they used for The Last Jedi Yoda was that original mold. which is tight. Which is uh, awesome. Which but is really but awesome. the OG Empire Strikes Back Yoda puppet is gone. RIP. Yeah, it's gone <laughs> in the history. Yeah. What was uh so yeah, whenever George Lucas was was writing Yoda, it was originally supposed to be Obi-Wan was gonna teach Luke in Empire Strikes Back. But then three weeks into filming Star Wars, he kills off Obi-Wan. And so then he came up with the idea of, okay, so now I need Obi-Wan's teacher to be teaching Luke. Um, but then, you know, you get to episode one, you realize, you know, like it was Qui-Gon who was his teacher, but but Yoda still trained him, but it was mostly Qui-Gon. But anyways, it just gets kind of... Qui-Gon was his teacher. Duke was Qui-Gon's teacher. Yoda was Duke's so in teacher. A way, so in a way, Yoda, from a certain point of view... <laughs> Well, I mean, Yoda, Yoda did uh, teach all the younglings. He, Yoda was in charge of all the younglings, so yeah, yeah, yeah. Obi-Wan was taught by Yoda. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, again. But um, <laughs> And so that was where the idea came from. And uh, originally, the, the lines were very straightforward, and, and Lucas had the idea of kind of switching it up a little bit. Kazdan switched it up some more, and then Frank Oz finally came through and did what did, he does. Did, did what he does. Yep. And so that that type of speaking was he said he needed to be unique. He, he needed people to be like, what's he saying? What's he, <laughs> like, what's he talking about? And then, um, but it worked like that, that, that Yoda speak is just such a, I don't know, iconic way of speaking. Yeah. And people to this day are still like making like, well, you'll always find somebody who says something like, like speak like Yoda. You do. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. And um, what, what was uh, Kirshner's view on, on Yoda? Like what it is a, uh, what, what news do we have about Kirshner with Yoda? 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Uh, I mean, he, along with the rest of us, thought it totally worked. I mean, it, it was almost like Star Wars, hinged, the original Star Wars hinged on if the effects work and that very first shot of the Tan of Four and that Star Destroyer sold the movie to audiences yes so yoda was that aspect for the empire strikes back if the if the puppet if the muppet did not work (laughs) the film was not going to work and it totally worked i totally agree with you james that puppet is the best you could possibly ask for in 1979 i mean it it's it holds up to this day yeah no no one talks about it no one has an issue with it yeah no one i've I've never heard anybody go like yeah, like, oh my gosh, looks so cheesy. Yoda looks, everyone's always like, oh, I like Yoda a lot. No one ever says Yoda looks cheesy after all these years. No, yeah. man, like, you look at that dude, he's talking. And I, I, I want to go into, I, I wish I could do more research as to who came up with the whole, like, the sighing of Yoda. The, the, he walks and, like, kind of stops and you see his shoulders, like, 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 yeah. like, sag down. Like, there's all this detail. And part of me wants to think it was Frank Oz. I was going to say, I, I can almost guarantee it's Frank Oz. Yeah, it's puppeteering. He's done. He was yeah, like, yeah, you, you got to yeah. get him to walk. You got to get him to walk. And then, like, that scene, I love that scene where you see Yoda switch to, you know, the when he's pretending like he's an old, goofy guy. Mm-hmm. And then Luke is like, oh, we're wasting mine. our time. Yeah, yeah, that, that part too. Mine, mine. But then that part when Luke is like, we're wasting our time. And you just see Yoda go, yeah. I cannot teach him. And like you just see that that yeah. even though it's a puppet whose face hardly moves, you could totally see the character change there was so on him. Still, yeah, and it, it blows me away that they were able to achieve that. That he's like he turns around and looks at him, much anger at him, like his father, and he's like Yoda, and he just nods his head. And you're like, dude, that's that's a performance from a puppet, and we're all like, yeah, <laughs> how are they do this? You know, it just blows me away that that it still works after all these years. Well, that's um, that's years of training with. Frank Oz and Jim Henson and oh, the yeah. Jim Henson company. Like, you know, if you it, Kermit the Frog might as well be an actual actor who everybody <laughs> loves and adores. You know what I mean? So, it, it's just a testament to the their craft and how it stands the test of time and how well they are good. How well they can develop a character with this much range. You know what I yeah. mean? Like, it's wild. It's wild. But it, it, it's even cool as you know when they did the prequels and what's his name Rob Coleman was the uh, effects supervisor for the characters of the prequels. He was watching Empire. They had Empire going a lot to figure out the nuances of Yoda so they can digitally animate him. Mm-hmm. And one of the things he says is like he goes, "Look at the way like whenever Frank Oz says this line, you could see his hand in his forehead move. You could see that little movement." So we got to replicate that with the digital effects. So a lot of those stuff, like you see Yoda's forehead moving, 
and they were like, oh yeah, when he walks from this side to this side, he has to like kind of stop and like kind of have a have a moment to himself. And so they were using all of that puppetry as reference for the prequels of, and I, that just blows me away that they still were able to use all that. I don't know. Yeah. yeah, the part I love about that is that in episode two, they did look at Empire and they duplicated the ears, the latex the slight like movement in them mm-hmm. when you they went down to that level yeah i love it oh yeah so here's a fun story uh so lucas tells urban kirshner hey i won't bother you when you're on the set i'm i'll be in la i'll i mean i'll, I'll be in california working with the special effects and everything so they're filming the scene of the x-wing coming out of the of the water, the swamp there. Yeah. And they built this thing specifically to do that. And so they're setting it up. Kirshner looks behind him and sees George Lucas and he goes, Hey, what do you come here? Come here. Come here. <laughs> and Lucas was like, well, I made you a promise. He's like, no, I want you to see this. This is going to be cool. And they had it all set up, ready to go. Kirshner yells action. The X wing comes up out of the water. It comes up, it comes up and the wings just <laughs> break off <laughs> immediately. Because they were made out of plywood and they were heavy with water. And everybody was like, oh my gosh. And, and Kirshner <laughs> looks over at Lucas. Lucas is just like, and he was, and Kirshner's over here thinking, like, this is his money. We're spend- <laughs> this is all his money we're spending. And the guys were like, uh, give us, he's like, how long is this going to take? And they were like, give us like two hours. We can fix it. So I was like, all right, everybody, break for two hours. And then, <laughs> He goes to talk to George Lucas and George Lucas was just calm and goes like this. It happens. You know, these things happen. Yeah. It's okay. And he was like, oh. <laughs> he goes, anyone else would have just lost their mind seeing that, you know, like, like you're, you're going there and you're like, oh, I want to see how they're doing on this movie that I'm paying for. And then it just falls. <laughs> yeah. I came across that story as well. And Kirsch said that Lucas was like, nothing ever works on these films. So <laughs> that's about it. I was about to say at this point, George Lucas was probably like, Oh, everything's terrible all the time. And then somehow or another, I make like $450 million. That's like, I love it. I love it. So one of the things in the script that uh, when they were writing it was George Lucas wanted a character from Han Solo's past, which now brings in Lando Calrissian. And one of the things about that was he was supposed to be... So this is where it gets kind of like, I don't know what Lucas was going for. He was supposed to be a clone and he was actually supposed to be from a planet with clones of that same like they're all supposed to look the same and they were supposed to be a certain type of like group and part of one of the earlier like concepts that you can you could have some of the writing where lucas was like writing notes and he says the whole planet of clones and i think he even put like clone wars question mark like maybe maybe this guy is a remnant of the clone wars and at the time lucas still didn't really have an idea of what the clone wars was he just knew he he knew that there was something called the Clone Wars before the events of of Star Wars. Yeah. And fun fact, um, there is a paper of of uh, George Lucas with his original layout of Star Wars, and I mentioned this earlier, which was Episode One was called the beginning. Two through four was the Clone Wars trilogy. That's what he had written. Two, three, and four Clone Wars trilogy. Episode five was the was the aftermath and resolution of the Clone Wars. Episode 6, 7, and 8 were supposed to be Star Wars, Empire Strikes Back, Return of the Jedi. And then 9 was the final overall, like, 
the big, big finale of the movie. The culmination. Yeah. So there's that interview of George Lucas many years ago where he said there, there it's nine movies. It's it's three three act plays. And the part of me is wondering, was that what he was referencing? We will not we'll never know because that paper unfortunately doesn't have a date on it. So I just thought that was really fascinating that that was one of his early, early ideas. But then when he gets to episode, you know, Empire Strikes Back, he was calling it chapter two. He was already calling it chapter five. So I guess that was just something. And he, he kind of did it with doing the Clone Wars animation. I mean, he yeah, yeah. completed his story. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so yeah, back to Lando. I'm sorry. So, so, like, so, could you imagine Lando being like a, a clone, oh. like Captain Rex or something? Yeah. <laughs> and, like, wild. and like I said, I thought that was just bizarre that that was the concept where he was like, he's, he's a part of the clones. And he was like, was, this, was he responsible for the Clone Wars? Like, it was, it was ridiculous. And so we get to Lando Calrissian, who went through many, many different types of like iterations, and we finally land on Billy D. Williams, the amazing Billy D. Williams playing. What have we yeah, here? Yeah, what have we here? <laughs> and uh, he he was a big fan of George Lucas before Star Wars, which is which is pretty cool because that celebration uh, when he was there in 2017. I don't know if y'all remember this. He said that, I'm sorry, I'm so sorry, but uh, in 2017, he said, they were like, so, you know, when you met George Lucas, and he goes, yeah, I was already a fan of his little movie, THX 1138. So he was already looking at this guy like, oh, this dude's good, which I love that. And so he got the role of Lando. And of course, now we got to talk about Lando's capes and costumes. I want to hear why they did that with Lando. because That's an iconic look and it's, it's bizarre, but I love it. Only smooth people. Yeah, so there wasn't as much cape talk as I thought there was going to oh, be. Oh, no. Um, That's it. I'm- yeah. <laughs> so, like, George Lucas's idea for um, for Bespin was, like, an Art Deco-inspired world. So, like, Lando was kind of the first thing they went to for costuming, and then they, like, designed everyone else kind of around his look. And they went through 10 very different concepts before they even made one prototype because they had no idea what they wanted to do with him. I want to try to pull up pictures to show you guys because some of these things are like, <laughs> like they had him in like space suits and armor. Like, what is this? Oh, wow. That's Sagarera. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it really is. Wow. Like, wow. And they had tapes in some of the designs and in some they didn't. And the only real art deco-y thing you're left with is his belt, which isn't even that prominent. <laughs> um, so they made, they ended up making him very plain. Like they ended up going with color more for the art deco, like deep saturated colors instead. Um, and then his cape, just, I they didn't even really have anything about the cape, like why they did it. They just liked the cape. And the lining of his cape is interesting because it's actually a brocade and brocade is like super shiny, like super dramatic, but they used the back of the brocade. That's what you can see. And if you look closely, it's a dragon print, but you can't tell as much, which is why they use the back. So it's like a cool design, but it doesn't really distract. And then you get like all the loose strings and everything that added some texture without being like too distracting. But yeah. That's it. Um, <laughs> something that I love about a future film that came out later, which is Solo, I love how we got to see more of Lando and like mm-hmm. you like going into that like room that he has in the Falcon, just nothing but capes, and it's just like <laughs> yes. Yeah. But now that blows me away that yeah. the cape 
wasn't even a big deal. You know what I mean? That was just something that Lawrence Kasdan yeah. and his son were, and they were writing solo, were like, we should have a whole room of Lando's caves. You know, yeah. he needs a cave room because that was such, and it was, it was a cool look for Lando. When you see him coming out there the first time, you're like, oh man, this guy looks really, this guy looks cool. I mean, he has a cape and he's walking around with this thing on I mean, him. And then the two movies he's in, there's a cape in both of them. That's right. Yeah, he has <laughs> so, another one on uh, in Return when, of the Jedi. General or whatever. He becomes a general, which still doesn't make any sense. But we'll, just we'll get it out, out. general. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, they're like, oh, Solo, you've been, you were frozen in carbonite for the, you're a general now. But, uh, <laughs> which is very, that, that's how they did it. But what I love about, they you know, about his little maneuver at the Battle of Tanab. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> um, well, I watched, you know, I went back and rewatched Empire, and I just love the fact of how easily, and we're getting sidetracked, how easily it does flow into Solo and how Solo flows into that. Mm-hmm. Where when you see, when Han first sees Lando now, you know the backstory of the last time they saw each other. Yeah. And now you know why Han Solo's a little like, I don't know what's going to happen when we see him. Because the last time I saw him, I took his ship from him. Mm-hmm. So let's, uh, okay, they walk up to him and then he does the, hey, like, oh my, it's yeah. so good to see you. And they're like, oh my, he's like, hey, like, okay, we're cool now. I, I love that. This love is that. what I was expecting. I love that so much. <laughs> But uh, Cloud City, that was such an interesting, like, concept for Star Wars. You know, like, that's the idea of a floating city. And it just blows me away. And and what's funny was, uh, I don't know, somehow it also got tied into Close Encounters of the Third Kind. I think somebody somebody referenced Close Encounters of the Third Kind, and that was kind of the idea for Cloud City. Because if you've ever seen the ending of that movie, uh, the big ship, it has, like, a city on it, and it, like, rotates over, and it's interesting. So I'm wondering who... I don't know who copied who, but we won't get into that. Um, so Cloud City, that's where we see Vader, and that's when we get into the uh, the big the big finale of all of this stuff. So one of the things that I saw was interesting about Vader was, of course, I saw a behind the scenes, and it ruins the illusion because David Prowse's voice is just insane. Like, so bad. <laughs> yeah. like his voice. His voice is absolutely so. They showed the scene of the uh, the helmet coming on his his head, and Kirshner was the one who had the idea that like he goes, I want it to be just completely scarred. He goes, I want it just to look just horrific, and I want people to start wondering what in the world is underneath this helmet because because at the time a lot of people were kind of thinking he's a robot, Vader's not a human. But then that was the first scene you saw that he had. But of course, all it was was just a bald cap that they put over David Prowse. And um, if you ever watch this behind the scenes, you, you see the arm coming down, and they're like, "Okay, lift it up, lift, let go," and then let's go to turn the turn the chair, and the chair starts to turn, and it makes the most horrific sound. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> and you're and you're like, "Oh, thank God for Ben Bird for like yeah. cleaning all that up because it was it would." And then and then you hear him start to talk, and you're like, "Oh my gosh, thank God, you know." James Earl Jones was the voice of, of this yeah. thing because the voice was out. So Vader's, um, uh, what was I going to say? So I'm looking at the picture behind David right now, and he has Boba Fett, and he has IG-11, uh, IG-88, sorry, IG-11 was the Mandalorian. <laughs> so Boba Fett, what was Boba Fett's like? You, you, Nicole, you said he was based off of the original, like, Com- what was it? Com- Snowtrooper, Snowtrooper commander. Snowtrooper, yeah, it was like the higher up Snowtrooper. Um, so he was actually like the concept for Boba Fett was made before he was even in the script for Empire, <laughs> because George Lucas like 
Darth Vader was going to all these promotional things for Star Wars. Like he was going to like toy, like, like just all this random stuff. And he really thought Vader was being overused. So he created Boba Fett as like a promotional guy to go do all this other stuff. So Vader didn't have to go <laughs> to everything. I love it. Just so weird. I love it. I love it. Yeah. So he came, Boba Fett came from the concept of that snow trooper and John Molo, who did the um, costumes for A New Hope, was working on Alien at the time. So he just sent like sketches and stuff. He didn't actually do a lot of the designing. There were other concept artists that did stuff. But then he came back for the movie too. But he was working on Alien while Boba Fett was like being concepted and everything. Um, so the first version of Boba Fett they had, he was all white, like the snow troopers. But then when... George Lucas decided he was going to be a bounty hunter. Then they said, like, we need to make him look weathered, like, add as much color as you want, but he just can't be white anymore. Um, and then, so his first debut was in 19, or Holiday special. it was in 78. Yeah. Yep. And they didn't even, like, know how to spell his name yet. <laughs> so they were, like, signing autographs. Some have two T's, some have one T, which is really funny. And it was Dwayne Dunham, who was the assistant film editor on Empire. He was the one in the costume. Yeah, yeah it, was a, uh, it was a parade, wasn't it? It was like, a, yeah, yeah, it was Vader and Boba Fett were in this parade. And that was the first time anyone had seen him in that costume, which yeah. you, you got to put yourself back then. You're watching this parade. You see Darth Vader. Then you see this dude come out in this costume. You have no idea who he is, what he's about. But you're like, that's Star Wars. You know what I mean? Like, that's, yeah. that's so cool. Yeah. But anyways, but yeah, that. I, yeah, I saw footage of that parade. And apparently the guy who was in the Vader costume wasn't David Prowse. Uh, he like had almost like a heat stroke because it was super hot out there. Yeah, they said, um, they just kept saying like, just five more minutes, just five more minutes. But they were like sweating <laughs> to their feet. Like they had sweat coming out of their costumes. So eventually uh, they were just like, we're done, we're leaving. And they said the guy had to get like saline, uh, like injected into him to get his uh, fluids going because he was like, like the guy in the Vader costume was like dying, literally dying. That's so, uh, but anyway, so Boba Fett becomes now the most iconic looking Star Wars character ever. And the idea of it was originally a snow, the snow commander, which. Yep. And a replacement for Darth Vader. So he doesn't have to go to all these promotional events. Well, that's, that's another, uh, <laughs> but yeah. another example of rebels taking old concept art and using it. Yeah. They use, they use a lot of that. Or the Mandalore arc with Sabine and, and that, yeah, that's family. right. They were wearing all white but and everything. All of them were all white. Yeah, so I love it. I love it. That that's so cool, man. But um, yeah. What else? Yeah. What else you got? Sorry. So, yeah. yeah. On Bespin. Oh, are you are you done, Nicole? Are you still good? Oh, I just had a little bit okay. more. Um, so they had to make six costumes at one time, mainly because he was going to go do all this promotional stuff, which was a lot of work since they had to like make all the weathering and everything the same because they did like the layer of silver paint first and then they did all the colors over that and weathered it to make it just look old and used and everything um and then they also had to make a seventh costume for the stunt guy that was just lighter weight so he could fly around on the wire and it had to be more flexible too um and then Dwayne Dunham who was the editor he was an assistant editor for Jedi and then he was the editor for um Jedi. He was assistant for Empire. Oh, sorry. I was gonna say Paul Hurst did uh but yeah, I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah. Um but so he said 
that he thinks George was a little disappointed with Boba Fett's character because he remembers on Jedi, George was just like, throw Boba Fett in the pit. I don't want to see him again. And everyone was like trying to convince him, don't do that. But he was, but George said, nope, I'm done with him. Um, so it's just wow. funny that he had such a cool look and a cool concept for Boba Fett, but his character, like they didn't really have anything for him to do. So he just got thrown in the Sarlacc pit. Mm, you know, that, that reminds me a lot of uh, Captain Phasma. In, uh, <laughs> yeah. because, because when I first saw Phasma, I remember rumors were she's like the, the new Bubble Fett of this trilogy. And she was. And, she was totally. And then she, yeah. being the <laughs> she wasn't used hardly at all. And I, I was so pumped when I heard like she was going to be in like who, who was going to be in the suit how she was yes. and like everything. I was like, oh my gosh, this is awesome. And you first see her coming up and she goes, so the villagers, like what do you want us to do? And I'm like, oh man, she's awesome. She's ruthless. And then she goes away for the rest of the movie. Comes back at the end and then she's gone until the very end of Last Jedi. Last she dies. Jedi. Yeah. And then I was like, oh, she was the Boba Fett of, yeah, like yeah. you said, she, she was the Boba absolutely Fett. Absolutely was. Cool looking character with no, uh, no payoff whatsoever. Yeah. Oh, one thing. So you know how you're saying like they reuse stuff to you know, like Clone Wars yeah. and how y'all you Colin you were saying stuff. So yes. here's the here's the crazy thing. George Lucas's early concept for the opening of uh, Empire was to have them like like on a frozen lake, right? The, them somewhere, and then a, they're about to fly away, and then a monster comes up out of the water yeah. and grabs onto their ship, and uh, they they ended up not doing it. Arrow takes that opening sequence of Mandalorian and he did it. I was like, that's the coolest thing. Man. That's what I love about Star Wars is that every little idea that they had is never thrown away. They end up just going like, hey, we can use this for something. Yeah. Something um something great about um about about Boba Fett right now is that he might be showing up in the Mandalorian. So yeah, he's showing up in the Mandalorian. Okay, well he is showing. <laughs> and he up. was in season one, and everyone thought, "Well, yeah. who was that guy?" It's like yeah. you obviously heard the Spurs. Yeah, that was definitely him. Yeah, and if you heard Monday's episode, uh, David <laughs> uh, David talks a lot about that, yeah. and uh, so that, that was um yeah. So, anyways, um, so Cloud City is where the the climax of this movie happens, and it's crazy because George Lucas had the idea of doing his big battle at the beginning of the movie, which which is insane, which, mm-hmm. I mean, he did it again for Revenge of the Sith. And then, uh, what's his name? Johnson did too, so he kind of cheated with Last Jedi. He did the big battle <laughs> at the beginning, he did the big battle at the end. Whereas, you know, Lucas was like, I want to have my giant battle at the beginning, and then after that, it's just going to be, uh, we're going to have an emotional, you know, roller. Yeah, roller coaster to the very, very end of the movie. And so now we get to the very end of the movie, which was... Vader versus Luke and Mark Hamill had said that he had done a ton of fencing lessons tons of of just like over like just picking up and just fighting and fighting and fighting and this time they brought in Bob Anderson who was the uh who who he's trained Errol Flynn right like he was right he was like this this dude was he was one he was old already and two <laughs> he was our he he uh he's done a lot of things and whenever they were talking about doing the uh the sword fight for the Princess Bride, Rob Reiner said, I want the greatest sword fight ever done. And so Bob Anderson actually choreographed that sword fight there in Princess Bride. And then when they did Lord of the Rings, they brought him in and he was he was pretty old. 
here in Lord yeah. of the Rings. And he did all he choreographed the sword fights for them for for Lord of the Rings, which blows me away. So he was going to be the the double for Vader in the fight of Empire Strikes Back. And if you ever look at him, he's shorter, but you can't tell because of the Cam way the camera angles. angles are. But his suit is actually different than uh, his helmet. Doesn't have the bottom part right here, the guard down here. It's open so he can see his feet as he's fighting. And then uh, I'm, I'm probably taking away off Nicole's like thunder right now. But no, I didn't oh, have okay. that. There was nothing about yeah. Vader in my. <laughs> and then uh, his the, the the cheekbone right here. I know you can't really see, but yeah, uh, this part right here, he can actually see through see through these parts right here. So when he was when he's fighting, he can actually look through here. This is completely gone. And then right here, he can look and see more of Mark Hamill as he's fighting. And so he they they can you know he can properly do and hit all the spots. So I always thought that was really, and I never knew that until one day I was like, how many different types of Vader costumes were there, and how many different types of helmets, and then they showed that helmet, and I was blown away. Speaking of that, Nicole, the Vader costume in Empire is different from A New Hope. Why is that? Do we have any information on that? I So I didn't have anything in my book, because my book is organized uh, by 456, um, and there, there was nothing about Vader in this section so i just assumed it was the same suit but apparently you have different information. <laughs> i have some information on that actually okay what you get what i you saw get? i saw an interview with david prouse and he did talk about how there was a differentiation between the suit and a new hope to empire uh the suit and a new hope now if you go to disney plus and watch it you can actually see david prouse's eyes through the red lenses yeah. of the darth vader helmet so they actually realized that after the fact and they gave him darker tinted lenses. And to, to me, I noticed that as a kid and his suit was a whole lot shinier and you could see the reflection of light in his lenses and you couldn't see through them anymore. And David Prowse also talked about the fact that there were slits at the bottom of the chin so he could actually see down when he walked <laughs> so he could see his feet as opposed to just being like tunnel visioned out because it would, it would be about six feet before he could actually make out what was in front of him. Good and I actually go through that issue as well with my TIE pilot when I do 501st stuff. Yeah. My, wife, my wife and kids went with me on my last troop. And they were like, all these kids were like trying to give you high fives and stuff. I was like, I couldn't see them because they're all short. <laughs> yeah, I, I was going to say that that's the same thing for me kind of wearing my TK. Like you can't see like down here. You, you can't unless you go like this. Right. Right. Oh my it's gosh. So so it looks out of characters. It's it's always funny watching the behind the scenes stuffs on the original trilogy with the stormtroopers in particular because you like Colin was saying you can't see anything so they're like bumping into crap and like if there's a ramp they're like oh god there's a ramp here. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny it's on, to see. Um, it is just like that scene um, that happens on and 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 the New Hope where the stormtroopers yeah walk, when he hits his helmet yeah out in the door yeah. because he didn't see it. Yeah. You couldn't. There's no way to. And yeah. I and I love the fact that Ben Burt went back after all those years and added the the, the clonk. Thunk. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> As a joke, because he knew everyone everyone knew and he was like, All right, well, here you go. But um, oh fun fact, David Prowse almost did not come back to do Star Wars Empire Strikes Back. Uh they asked him, but he felt like the, the way they treated him, the way they treated the character, and not the character, but how they treated him after Star Wars came out he thought was really rude because they didn't tell him that they weren't going to use his voice and you know, which thank God they didn't use his voice, but 
you know, he, he was mad that that's how they treated him. And he was like, well, I don't know if I want to come back. And I forget who was doing the negotiation. Somebody, I don't know. I don't want to say it was Gary Kurtz because it sounds kind of mean for what Kurtz said. He says, okay, well, it's, it's either going to be you or we can find someone else to wear the suit. And he was like, yeah, okay, I'll do it again. And so that was his way of being like, well, I, I got to do it. But he felt really like it doesn't matter who's in the suit as long as they have someone to fill. But I, I've always liked that it's David because you can tell David Prowse and you know you go to Rogue One and you see the new Darth Vader and he he looks great but David Prowse had a was really tall and huge and you could really see this yeah and if you look at that picture behind behind David there you could see how tall he was compared to Irvin Kershaw Irvin Kershaw was tall as well yeah. and then you get this dude who was just a monster but um, yeah it was cool in Rogue One how they gave uh, Vader the red lenses back yep and I was like hey there you go they got him back they mastered them yeah. um, so now we get to the the big the big sword fight there at the end of Empire and the, the big reveal happens. And, but before the big reveal happens, Irvin Kirshner had a, was saying, you know, when everything's being thrown at Luke, he was really hoping the audience realized that that's Vader doing that. He was nervous that people wouldn't realize that Vader's the one throwing the stuff at. That seems, at Luke. still seems kind of, that's like probably the one spot in the whole movie where I'm like, why? It's cool, <laughs> man. He's just he's intimidating him. I like that. Scene. Yeah. It's whatever. I, I feel the same way about like in episode two where Yoda and um, Dooku are throwing walls at each other and stuff. I'm like, this is totally unnecessary. <laughs> like, <laughs> I like it. I mean, that's just me. I thought it was I like cool. It too. I thought it was awesome. Meaning but um, uh, so, okay, costumes. What about Luke's outfit there at the end of uh, Empire? That's your new name, Nicole. Costumes. costumes. <laughs> costume. I like it. Um, so they designed that costume as something that he kind of would have worn under his other like his outfit from Hoth and everything so it was just a very basic jumpsuit they originally had some other more complicated designs that looked like kind of like a diver's jumpsuit but they didn't like that and it wasn't really like Star Wars like what they had established with other costumes so they went with this more plain look and it's actually two pieces even though it looks like a jumpsuit because that was just the easier way to construct it and then it's velcroed together at the waist so that the jacket didn't ride up when he's doing fight scenes and stuff. But they had to make like about 16 different versions of this outfit because when he's fighting Vader, it's like literally falling apart. By the end, it's falling off of him. So they had to distress all of the 16 at different levels oh, wow. to keep going throughout the movie because by the end, it's like literally falling off of yeah. him. That sucks. As is Luke's hand. As is his hand falling off <laughs> as well. <laughs> but um, but yeah. So so the the big the big reveal came, and you know, like I said, George Lucas knew what was what was going to happen. Uh, re, I'm going to rewind back a little bit. So the line where Yoda where Yoda says, uh, "No, there is another." That was legit. Lucas making way for the third movie. Like yeah. that's <laughs> he was like. Who the other one was, he was still on the fence of of who it was gonna be. Yeah. He had the he says there were there were ideas that it could be Leia. And then the other idea, which was from the early, early scripts, was Luke's sister, but she was a completely different mm-hmm. person on another part of the galaxy. And so that was a whole other idea that Lucas was playing with. And then when it got to Return of the Jedi, he was like, Oh, it's it's Leia. And uh, well, I'll talk later about a little bit of discrepancies there but um 
but we we forgot one of the best parts of the whole movie, and it's the "I love you" moment. Oh yeah, and uh, <laughs> David, I want you to tell the story of the "I love you" moment in uh, Empire Strikes Back. So George Lucas actually wrote in there uh, at the freezing chamber when Solo was about to go down, and Leia says, "I love you." He wrote for Han Solo, "I love you too." Yeah, and. <laughs> Kirsch was like, it's not working. And Harrison Ford agreed. He said, it, it, it doesn't feel right. And they did take after take after take. And of course, didn't feel right. It wasn't to, to, to character for Han Solo. And finally, Kirsch had enough. And he said, forget it. Don't think about it. Let's roll it. Let's shoot it. Let's go. And they shot it. And Harrison said the first thing that came to his mind, which is the iconic, I know. And the rest is movie history. And, and Kirsch said, "Yeah, that's 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 Han Solo. Yeah, that that's him. That's perfect." And you know, a lot of people see that as an arrogant, like an arrogant line. I never saw that as an arrogant line. I saw it always yeah. as as he's he's saying, "I know," like acknowledging, like I we fought this whole time. We argued. You wanted to hit me. You wanted to never see me again. But in the end, I always knew. And that's his way. She's like, "I love you." He goes, "I I know." And, and, and the beautiful. I know is also, it's like his way of returning it. It's like, I know, and you also know that I love you as well. It's, it's, it's got so many implied levels to it. Yeah. And just the way he says it, looks her dead in the eyes with the, you know, that Han smile. Yeah. And, uh, know, uh, and then that scene that we see and there is a Skywalker mm-hmm. yep. with, um, uh, with Ben Solo. He, uh, he's like dad. And then he's like, I know. And then he chucks a lightsaber. That was just like, yeah. Oh, like and, yeah. throwback. And it was it was beautiful. And, and what's funny about that scene is it's you know how you said there's many levels implied there. In that scene in the Rise of Skywalker, it's the opposite where uh, Ben Solo's dad line is. There's so much implied there yeah. that he doesn't have to. And Han Solo says, "I know." Like and I, the, you I know, don't it takes all that pressure off of Ben. Where it's like you know when he says, "Dad," it's like I want to be forgiven. I can't believe I've you know strayed this far from the path and he just comes back with a i know you're good like <laughs> it, was, it was amazing it was beautiful it was beautiful so i'm not tearing up i'm not tearing up right now and actually did two different casts of han solo being frozen in carbonite they did the first one of him actually just kind of there with his eyes closed and that was it and kirsch saw it and was like he goes no 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 like he needs to be fighting with everything he has not to get frozen. He needs to be struggling. He needs to be in pain. He needs to just, no, this is not going to work. And so then when they redid it, that's the iconic of him. He breaks out of the, he breaks out of the, uh, his restraints and he's trying to get out when, when yeah. he gets frozen. And so that was an idea that Kirsch had, which is the best idea ever. You know what I mean? Because you imagine they get, they bring him up and he's just like, you're yeah, like, you're like, Oh, okay. Cool. I guess cool, <laughs> but yeah. So that was his way of um, yeah. So anyways, so we're going everywhere today. But anyways, now we get to the final Darth Vader talking to Luke. He gets his hand chopped off, which I just saw on the internet. Someone has the hand somewhere. Like I saw legit. Someone has the hand. Yeah, I was Did like, not. No, no. I meant like no. It's JJ. It's J. No, I meant like a person, like a fan has the. Hand. I was making a yeah. joke, James. And yeah, and JJ does have the hand somewhere, and he'll never explain to us. Don't make me started on that. But anyways, <laughs> I'm always going to be mad about that. Um, so the, everyone, most people know the story, which was that 
before the scene happened, Kirshner says to Luke, okay, this is what David Prowse is going to say to you, but this is what we're actually going to record, which is, no, I am your father. And Mark Hamill was like, what? <laughs> like, what? He goes, yeah, don't tell anybody. You, only you yeah, know. Yeah, but first, yeah, first yeah. Kirsch was like, I'm about to tell you something that only I know, George Lucas knows, and once I tell you, you'll be the third person to know. So if this leaks, we know it's you. Yeah. <laughs> and, and then so they did the scene, and Mark Hamill is reacting in his mind to, no, I am your father. That's why he does that line so dramatically. And, and the actual line was, Obi-Wan yeah. killed your father. Yeah. That's what the crew heard. Which still would have been pretty <laughs> drastic if you think about it. I mean, but I don't think it would have elicited the same yeah. response. Actually, yeah. you know, okay, so let's let's have a little, yeah, I see Brooke over there thinking the same thing, me. It's like, that still would have had a, a heck of a response because yeah. because you have Obi-Wan telling him, go go to Yoda. You have Obi-Wan being like, this is the way the Force is. This is the way this is, blah, 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 blah. And then you get to that line, Obi-Wan killed your father. It's like, well, who do I trust now? Like, Obi-Wan's been lying to me this whole time. So that would have been, that, that, I think that would have been equally crazy dramatic yeah equally as dramatic but i am glad they went with the whole yeah because with with vader being the dad it's literally like the biggest baddest dude in the galaxy Mm -hmm. next to the emperor of course is your dad yeah it's the worst possible scenario yeah (laughs) yeah and it's it's like what how does he come back from it and it, it blows me away that you know that that was the big twist, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. And there's a recording. If you ever hear, like, there's actually recordings of people in theater, like the theaters, like going, <gasps> like gasping, <laughs> like, what? And the like, really? Like, this doesn't make no way. I watched a compilation on YouTube the other day of little kids seeing Star Wars <laughs> for the first time and the reveal happening, and the little kids, just, Dad, <laughs> is he Dad? Really? And the Dad's like, Yeah, and he's like, No, yeah, yeah. It's <laughs> awesome. I, I saw it's with like this, the best thing ever. This little girl, she was like. No, <laughs> like, like, <laughs> what? Really? It, yeah, it, it's amazing that that, like, that still works to this day. You yeah, know, like, yeah. no, but with, you, know, I, you know, sadly, though, it's such a used line that even if you show your friend who's never seen Star Wars, Star Wars, they're going to be like, oh, yeah, Luke, I am your father. And you're like, it's yeah. no, I am your father. But yeah, you get the yeah, point. Yeah. yeah, it's Star Wars. But, um, and so then he, he, so then Luke jumps after that. He falls. I think it's um, funny. James Earl Jones. I saw oh, yeah. with him where he was, he read he read the line and he was like, well, obviously Darth Vader's lying. Yeah, he was like, <laughs> like oh, he's lying. There's yeah. no way. There's no way he's this dude's dad. Yeah. But what makes me laugh though is James Earl Jones does say, Luke, I am your father in an interview, yeah. which sparks that whole debate. Like, see, even James Earl Jones says it's Luke, not no. And it's like, you guys need to just simply go watch the movie. Yeah, just just watch the movie. Watch the scene. But then a lot of the but then movie. a lot of people's argument though is that George Lucas changed it during like the special edition stuff and so there's no real version of uh, star wars yeah but i've i've actually looked at the scripts and the george lucas's handwriting and it's no i am your father so there's no argument but anyways um so luke falls down he gets there and apparently george lucas was nervous that kids would be traumatized by the hand being chopped off (laughs) and luke jumping and like having nowhere to go but People, the psychiatrist, he went to go speak to the psychiatrist about it, like talking to the, our kids going to wow. be kind of messed up with this. And they were like, I'm sure they'll be fine. <laughs> but at the time, though, when you saw Luke, when I saw Luke's hand chopped off when I was a kid, I was just like, 
Dang. I was like, oh, that's that's that happened. Okay, that's here we go. That can happen. Lightsabers can chop off hands. Um, they chopped the arm off. Yeah, I know, but you weren't expecting Luke. That happened. Not a main character to lose a limb. Yeah, (laughs) exactly. It's it's so crazy. And then so whenever Luke was hanging down from the bottom of Bespin, the original script was he was calling to Obi Wan to call to Leia. That was the original idea. But then thank God they changed it to him calling straight to Leia and that close that beautiful close up of her face being like like Luke. Like, I need to go back. I need to go back right now. Yeah. It's it's amazing. It's a, it's so great. And that sets up, I mean, I don't know if George Lucas did it on purpose, but that sets up her being the the twin the twin sister. Yeah. But at the time, I don't think George Lucas really had that in mind. Uh, he'll say that. Uh, and that's one thing Gary Kurtz always says was uh, George Lucas always says he had a plan, but there really wasn't <laughs> a plan. And he says, you know, George Lucas would go in interviews and say, I have enough to make, you know, 12 movies. And Gary Kurtz would always be like, he doesn't have enough to make 12 <laughs> movies. Like, he has a few ideas, but he doesn't have enough for all these movies. I'll never know who to believe. I mean, Kurtz was, was pretty, uh, was a pretty straightforward guy. So I don't, I don't know. But anyway. Um, I think I so- got to call a timeout here. And we got to address something that I've never heard anyone address. Uh-oh. So I just talked about how Kirshner told Luke or told Mark Hamill and George Lucas knew that only them three in the world knew the truth about Darth Vader. So we all know that David Prowse leaked information to a newspaper. So how does that factor into all this? Well, I I mean, I, 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 I know what you're talking about. But I think he like said that by accident. He like didn't know like that that was actual thing. He was guessing, and then that ended up oh, okay. It was true. a guess. Yeah, and that ended up being true. And then um, I and then I know going into the Return of the Jedi, they wanted nothing to do with him at all. At that point, they were like, right. you almost like kind of. I mean, because of that line was so iconic, and it's a good thing that no one really um kind of caught on that rumor because if it did it wouldn't be as iconic as it is today so good thing the internet didn't exist yeah it's a great thing oh, the internet yeah. Did. yeah so especially like comicbook.com and things like that yeah we got this covered <laughs> we, we got, got this covered but um but what's but we're crazy saying david prowse successfully guessed it yeah yeah <laughs> i well because they the interview because i've looked at that whole interview and they asked him like what's something crazy that could happen in the next movie and he was naming off a few things and then one of the things he said was, it'd be crazy if Vader was was Luke's dad. You know, like that's another thing they could maybe explore. And he just was naming things that they could possibly do in the yeah. next movie. And I guess Lucas somehow thought that he knew and he told everybody. And so even to this day, David Prowse isn't invited. You know, he I mean, now he's no longer he no longer goes to these things anymore. But there was a while where he was never invited to any Lucasfilm event. Like Star Wars Celebration, he should have been there. Like, how amazing would it have been if David Prowse yeah, was there at Star Wars yeah. Celebration? But uh, yeah, it's so it's... the other layer built into all of this is the Uh-oh. fact that Darth means dark. It's close enough to dark, and then Vader is father in several languages. Yeah. So yeah. his name is literally Dark Father, and a lot of people I talk to surprisingly will tell me you should have figured it out by the name, and I'm like. <laughs> 
it, that went over my head. But I mean, I was a kid when I saw it. But so again, to add further, like we don't know the full story. There is a paper that George Lucas had where it, he you see him coming up with the name Darth Vader. It was like dark, like something else, like in, Invader, Dark Invader, and, and something weird like that. And then right. he just was marking stuff out. Then he came up with Darth Vader. So, it, I, and then they were like, well, we don't know when this paper was written. We don't know right. whether or not he was like, but because, okay, I'm, I'm just going to throw this out there. Vader, I don't think was originally in like in a new hope. I don't think Vader was the father that was Luke's father. Right. In a new hope. So it's just basically Lucas, a happy coincidence. Yeah. I think when George Lucas was doing, what's up? That's a crazy coincidence. It's a crazy coincidence. Yeah. But I think whenever George Lucas wrote a new hope and when a new hope was out and when he was directing it, I don't think Vader was ever supposed to be Luke's father. It wasn't until after the movie he was probably like, that'd be a pretty good idea. <laughs> and uh, a lot of that happened with, with Empire Strikes Back, a lot of this stuff. And then yeah. with Return of the Jedi as well. Um, so what else can we t- Oh, yeah. So unfortunately, Matt is not here, but Matt had done a ton of research yeah. on the, <laughs> the post-production of this movie um, with, the, with the walkers. And stop and- motion, yeah. Yeah, the stop motion was insane. What they were, what they were doing with this movie, mm-hmm. um, and what's really funny is I found a picture of a Walker original Walker by, I think it was pretty sure it was Ralph McQuarrie, where he drew the Walker and he actually had a turret in the back of the Walker, which was never done. But then you play Jedi Fallen Order, the Walker has a turret in the back, and there's a guy back there shooting people. Yeah, yeah. So that was an idea that they originally had for the Walkers. They didn't use it, and in fact, they went to a zoo. And they got an elephant, and it was the same elephant from A New Hope, the uh, the panther. The, this this elephant was still like, "Hey, I'm still I'm an elephant." I'm an elephant. I can. So they actually um, they recorded that same elephant from A New Hope walking. I think David just fell. They recorded that same elephant walking, and they actually drew lines on it to where this is where the walker will be, and they mimicked the the walker movements off of an elephant. And so I thought that was like, I was like, that's that's insane. Um, and then they, of course, the Tauntaun was a big deal. They even considered doing a man in a suit with yeah. Tauntaun. Like they, like Joe Johnston has drawings of like how it was going to work. And they were like, they it's could, not gonna work. did they consider Wilt Chamberlain? Yeah. Yeah. It was just such a nightmare for them to think about. Um, so yeah, the stop motion was insane there. Yeah, and, and it worked on the Tauntaun and the ATATs or ADATs, whatever you yep. want to call it. Yeah. So, yeah. And he's returning for the Mandalorian season two and season three. Thank yeah, God. Yeah, yeah. yeah, that dude's the best when it comes to. And he was one of the, and he almost did all the the dinosaurs in Jurassic Park, mm-hmm. uh, stop motion. And what's what's crazy is you know you go you talk about your favorite Irvin Kershaw movie or your other favorite one, RoboCop Two. Yeah, that, RoboCop Two was in 1990, right when they were getting ready to do Jurassic Park, and so Spielberg was watching RoboCop Two, going, "Okay, stop motion has pretty much reached the pinnacle." Right. Because of RoboCop 2, how well they were able to do can't, it. Can't get, better than can't get any better than, than Ed 2. Oh, it was Kane at the time. And then and then you get to Jurassic Park and they end up doing it all. Yeah. Dennis Murin was there. But anyways. So it yeah. <laughs> so a lot, what, was it, what else was there about the... Uh, I don't know. They, they were doing stuff with the special effects and, and Empire Strikes Back that you're like, how, how are they so confident? Like, it blows me away how mm-hmm. confident they were. George Lucas was like, oh, yeah, we're going to do a scene on a rooftop and we're going to do this. There's going to be this kind of a chase. And you're like, dude, how are you thinking about this? Like, you saw how hard it was to make your first Star Wars movie. And then when it came to Empire, he was like, there's no, I could do anything. I can yeah. do whatever I want to. 
and it blows me away what they accomplished with that. And Dennis Murin, to this day, says that one of the hardest movies he ever worked on was Empire. This dude has done, he did The Abyss, Terminator 2, Jurassic Park. I mean, he's done like all the big, big special effects movies, and he's he said Empire Strikes Back was one of the hardest movies he's ever had to do. And attending a Dennis Murin panel at Celebration, that's the best thing ever. I, I I was there in 2015 and I attended his panel. It was almost like a Sophie's Choice because it was between him and Doug Chang. They were happening mm. happening simultaneously. So I did Doug Chang in, uh, last year in Chicago. So I got to knock that out. But uh, yeah, Dennis he pres- he had a presentation like I was at work at my day job on PowerPoint, <laughs> and he was presenting Star Wars like we were at a at a business meeting, you know. And it was so interesting. He's so well spoken, so articulate, and he explained how the ships in outer space banked like there was an atmosphere as compared to realistic sci-fi. And that was like, it, it's one of those things that you, you subconsciously know, but until you hear it talked about and articulated, it's like, it's like, Oh yeah, that, that, yeah, that's always been there. I always knew that, but finally someone actually talked about it. Yeah. Dennis, Dennis Murin was, was insane when it came to, uh, Star Wars and special effects in general and that what's crazy about ILM was John Dykstra had done the special effects for Star Wars A New Hope and John Dykstra actually won the Oscars or the, the Oscar for the special best visual effects but George Lucas hated John Dykstra he thought John <laughs> Dykstra was lazy he said you went through all my money to build a camera with your name on it which he did um, he says I asked you for all these shots and you gave me half of what I asked you for. So when it came time to do Empire, he fired Dykstra. Dykstra actually went off to do, uh, I think Battlestar Galactica was what he ended up going to do. And that production of Battlestar Galactica actually kind of screwed up Empire's pre-production because a lot of those guys who worked on Star Wars ended up working on Battlestar Galactica. And George Lucas was really mad because he was like, at first it was called like Galactica. Then they called it Battlestar Galactica. And he was like, you're stealing Star Wars. Like it's the title is literally Star Wars. (laughs) Like that's, and <laughs> I had to think about it. I was like, kind of is, yeah. yeah. I can, I can kind of see how the, the title is pretty much Battlestar. Anyways, um, and so a lot of those guys had to then come back to Star Wars to help him do all the special effects for Empire. And Robert, uh, uh how do you say his last name? Robert Edlin or Edlin? yeah, yeah. He was yeah he was part of the crew for Star Wars, and now he was the supervisor for Empire Strikes Back, and um, he did a great job and they they killed it there with uh, empire strikes back the best some those special effects in empire still hold up today and it's models and stop motion and it just blows me away like how how great it is yeah and george lucas awarded the crew like 10 million dollars worth of bonuses yeah Yeah. that was kind of unheard of he uh i think the production went 50 days over um george lucas and gary kurtz never worked again after this movie because the production was going so far over and he blamed it on Kurt saying, you're letting Kirshner do multiple takes. You're letting Kirshner take his time. I don't have time. We need to get this movie out. I don't have all this money to be making this movie. And so that's why Kurtz doesn't, uh, I don't know if did he produced return of the Jedi or he was. No, Kurtz was not involved yeah. in return of the Jedi. And so it was, it was, um, it's really sad because Kurtz was, was a, was a big champion for for Lucas through American Graffiti and then the Star Wars. 
Um, yeah, there was a bit of a falling out, but Kurtz yeah. does appear on Empire of Dreams, though. Yes, yeah. he does. And I'm pretty sure Lucas had to give the okay on people appearing. Yeah, I think Lucas cooled it over over the years. Yeah. Um, but uh, it, it was, I thought that was just really shocking. And then um, the first cut that Paul Hirsch did of Empire Strikes Back was kind of the Empire Strikes Back you saw. But Lucas hated it. He was like, this is terrible. This needs to be faster and more intense. <laughs> and so <laughs> Lucas then gets and he cuts his version of the movie. And it was awful. And his wife actually said, hey, what Paul Hirsch was doing and what Kirshner was trying to achieve is lost with your cut of the Ugh. movie. You need to let him finish the movie the way he wants to finish it. And so Lucas, okay, go for it. And then Hirsch edited the movie. And there we go. now we get Empire Strikes Back the way it is. But there was a chance the movie could have been bad because Lucas, I don't know, he had an ego and his head was growing pretty big during this whole time. I mean, he he was just, he had no regrets over firing people. People who were like, I've been working with you. He goes, I don't care. You're not doing a good job. Go away. And people would have to leave. And in the, But you got to remember, he was going through this movie. Like I said, the movie was 50 days over over you know overdue and 10 million dollars over budget right yeah 10 yeah. million and the budget just kept climbing and climbing and climbing and it, it was it looked and they said the movie has to make over 60 million dollars for you to even break even with that includes promotionals and everything like that and so crazy. yeah and it was and it looked like it wasn't gonna happen <laughs> and the movie comes out and fans were divided which I'm, I'm, I'm not starting any controversy, but it was the same as The Last Jedi where people were kind of like, what is this? What, what just happened? This is not the Star Wars that I wanted. And, but it still made a ton of money and Lucasfilm and George Lucas himself was able to pocket $100 million himself, which blows me away because of, because of the fact that he put his own money into the yeah. movie. Um, so after that movie came out and it was a huge success that it was, then Star Wars was able to continue after that. And which, and like, like we said earlier, if Empire had not have worked, none of this, we wouldn't be, we would not be here doing this to this day. Mm-hmm. There's no way we'd be here doing this. We'd be like, remember those two Star Wars science fiction movies? <laughs> oh yeah, that was, that was cool. Cause that's all it was. It was probably. Gonna be. So I don't know. It just blows me away. Cool. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, and Kirsch actually had a quote when he, when he did an interview way back then in 1980 about the film. And the interviewer had seen the film and they were kind of puzzled by the ending and the tone. And Kirsch said, this was the ending. The ending made jar audiences only because they saw Star Wars 1, where there were a triumphant ending with everyone who was successful and patting each other on the back and paying homage to them, the heroes, because they were heroic figures. Well, the heroic figures don't exist in this one because... And this one, they were lucky to survive this dastardly creature named Lord Darth Vader. And to just survive, to get pretty far in this life sometimes, that's, that's why I feel that they are not as satisfied. Uh, well, if you don't expect a triumphant ending, then you're perfectly well satisfied. If you expect it, then you're not same as in life. If you expect certain things to happen as you expect them, they won't expect the unexpected. Yeah. And he always used to say like, I don't have, he says, I have a middle movement of, of, a, of an opera. He goes, all the middle piece is doing is getting you ready for the third chapter. Mm-hmm. And that's how he shot the movie. And I think it worked perfectly. So 
Anything else we should talk about or are we all good? <laughs> I think we covered it. <laughs> <laughs> anything uh anything else, Nicole? Uh did we miss not any costumes? Really. The only <laughs> other fun fact was like Leia her dress from Vespin was the first time she was seen not wearing all white, so that's kind of a fun fact. Um and then <laughs> I had a little thing about the stormtroopers too. <laughs> So they originally wanted to reuse the stormtroopers from A New Hope, but like the day before they were going to start filming with them, they were like, no, these suck. We have to get new ones. So they made a prototype for a new one within a week. (laughs) And then it's not really clear, but we don't see any of the new ones they made in the new film, except for one shot in the freezing chamber. The rest of them were all from the last movie and they were just kind of refurbished. So these they produced a ton of new ones for this film that were never seen in the film. We're not really sure why. And then they were used for promotions and they were used as a prototype for return of the Jedi, but they still made new ones for return of the Jedi. So that's another way they wasted more money. uh, (laughs) uh, The, the original design for the snow troopers um, that um there's an episode of Clone Wars where it's called Trespass and and they're on the snow planet. That design of the clones is is the original design of what the snowtroopers were supposed to look like. Um so it's cool that that we see that design awesome. years later for for the clones. And that's what I love about Empire Strikes Back is that this one little movie and there's still remnants of it and there's still echoes of it throughout everything yeah. of Star Wars even to this day. And it's beautiful. It's beautiful. Uh, I guess. I guess that's it, huh? Guess yeah. We, guess we did good. Well, there, uh, there was one quote I oh. want to read from first that I came across that totally good. blew me away when I read it, and I was like, "Oh my gosh, that's so right." So he said, Irvin Kirshner said, "Some people call it science fiction. I don't even consider it science fiction. I consider it a fairy tale. In science fiction, you're very concerned about leaving a spaceship on a planet because." There might not be oxygen or a gravitational force is not on the same as on Earth or about what your body is adjusted to. And so you must take all that into consideration or it's considered very poor science fiction. Star Wars is a fairy tale. That's the environment. That's the context. And you can literally do anything. And if I believe it while I'm doing it, the audience tends to believe it too. That's a fairy tale. Good. <laughs> well, thank you very much for listening to this episode of The Empire Strikes Back. And uh, our Patreon will actually do something a little fun for y'all on our Patreon, which is we are going to all watch The Empire Strikes Back on the 21st. So, uh, or, or today, I should say. Um, so, look forward to that. Um, and thank you so much for listening to this nice little bonus episode. And may the force be with you. Always. Pew, 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 pew. Pew.